series on the church. We have about an eighth of our church here, and so this is a great day to uh, talk about the church. Um, if uh, you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians 2. That's where we're going to be camping out for the first part of our talk this morning. And I just have to tell you, I'm excited to get into this series. I love the church. Um, I have given my life and my soul and my heart to the church. And uh, I am excited to talk about, learn about, think about the church with you. Um, as we get to do that together as a particular local church. And I'm also going to say this. This is just going to be a five-part series. I, I thought about extending it out and maybe doubling it. Um, there's a lot we could say about the church, and hopefully we'll do that in months and years to come. Um, for this series, we're just going to do a five-part series. So I want to say this. There's a lot that we could say that we're not going to say. So if you're really into the church and, and ecclesiology and all that, and you say, why didn't you mention this or mention this? I know we're, we're leaving out a lot. We're just going to try to hit some of the kind of foundational essentials of what the church is, what the church ought to do, what the nature of the church is, what the church should look like, what all of that means for us as a local church, that sort of thing. So that's where we're headed in the next few weeks. And, uh, I, I am excited to get into this series with you. There is nothing more dear and precious and important and treasured in the world, in the universe, to God than his church. And so for us as Christians, as those who are part of the church, we ought to reflect that value and love of the church. That's where we're headed the next couple of weeks, and, and I hope for us as, as Union Church that that as we, as we think through what the church is together and investigate what the church is scripturally, that we would begin to grow and continue to grow a really good foundation and love for God's church and for God's people. And that, that as we grow and as our church is built by the Lord Jesus Christ, that, 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 that our understanding and love for God's people would grow and be built as well. So that's where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. And again, you can turn to Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and somebody will uh, hand you a Bible if you'd like to follow along. I want to start off um, asking you a question. What, what is the church? It's the first thing we need to think about if we're getting into a series on the church. We need to ask the question, what is the church? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you've gone to church all your life, but you've maybe never really thought about what the church actually is, what the church actually ought to be, what the church should look like. I was talking with a guy uh, some time back, and he said, we were talking about this topic, what is the church? And I, and I said, well, according to the Bible, and he interrupted me and said, well, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, the dictionary says that the church is a building. So that's how we define it. We turn to the dictionary. That's what the church is. And certainly he's right about the dictionary definition. If you open up a dictionary, I wrote it down here, the dictionary definition of church says a building used for public Christian worship. That's what the dictionary says about the church. But as Christians, we understand we don't define the church based on what the dictionary says. We define the church based on what the Bible says. But some people think the church is a building or a specific location some people think the church is merely an organization, kind of just like a business or any other organization, maybe some type of nonprofit. It's the legal term for it. I was talking to another gal a while back who was an accountant, and she said, and she's, you know, churches hire me to do their accounting and their books and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, after all, the church 
The church needs that sort of thing because after all, the church is, is really just a business just like any other business, just marketing a different product, spirituality. Okay, some people think the church is merely an organization. Some people think the church, or view the church, rather, as a spiritual grocery store where you come, you take the goods, take what you want, you pick it off the shelf, what you feel like eating, what is good for my season of life, what really is gonna feed me, and then we take that home and we eat it. And if we don't have time to go to the grocery store, we just get takeout. And then if there's a new grocery store that opens up down the street that, that is really more, has the food that I need in my season of life, then we, we, we go to that grocery store. That's the one I enjoy now, I just really need to be there. Okay, well, some people view the church like that, as a spiritual grocery store. And friends, some people view the church as an event to attend. I go, and maybe I come late, maybe I leave early. And if I don't feel like going to the event, then I won't go. But I'll come, and I'll, and I'll get the stuff that is presented. I'll get some singing, some sermons, and I'll evaluate if I like them or not. And if I like them, then I'll say, you know, I got something out of it today. If I don't like them, then I'll say, yeah, it wasn't really for me today. I didn't really get anything out of it. But the event was still okay. The people there are good, and I kind of just come and go as I please. Some people view the church as an event to attend. There's a lot of different ways that the culture views the church and that well-intended Christians view the church, however ill-informed. But here's what I want us to clamp down on today. And, as, and really in this whole series, as we, as we develop and, and mature our understanding of what the church is, one of the main ideas I want us to, to grab onto is, is that the church is not, friends, an event to attend, but the church is a family to be a part of. Those are two very, very different things. We treat events very differently than we treat our families, I hope. The church is not an event to attend where we just come and go, get what we please. If we like it, then we'll stay. The church is a family to be a part of. And I do want to start off by answering biblically the question, what is the church? That's where we're going to start today. We've seen some views of the church. Some people think the church is a building or an organization or a spiritual grocery store, an event to attend. Well, what is the church? If none of those things are the church as the Bible defines it, then what is the church? What is the church? I have a helpful definition from a book called The Church, unsurprisingly, uh, by Mark Dever, and he defines the church like this. Just a helpful, short, concise, functional definition for us of the uppercase C church. Should be on your screen. He says this, the church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in his world. That's his definition of the church. I think that really encapsulates what the Bible means when it talks about the church. As you get a composite understanding of the New Testament, all of those elements of that definition are there in the Bible's understanding of the church. And we're going to look at this in Ephesians 2 this morning. If you haven't turned there already, turn to Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 and as well 18 and 19. And Paul says this in Ephesians 2, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him we both have access in one spirit to one Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. First thing I want us to notice here is the word you, but now in Christ Jesus, you. You. Friends, the church is a body of people. Paul here is writing to people. He's writing to a particular church in a particular city. At the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus. Those are human beings. The church, friends, first and foremost, is, is people. It's made up of people. The church is not a building. The church is not merely an organization. The church is not a spiritual grocery store. The church is a people. And furthermore, it's a particular people. You, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This particular people that once were far off from God have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. The church is a body of people that are called by God's grace through faith in Christ. That's accurate. The church is filled with people that are saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a particular people. Those who are outside of that saving relationship are not yet part of God's church. Those who have been far from God, that's you and I, that's every other human being, who have been brought near to God into the household of God, into the actual family of God. The church is the people of God that make up the family of God. It's a particular people. If I might use the word a special people, unique people, a chosen people. Peter says in 1 Peter, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, precious in God's sight. That is the church. Those are the particular people that the church is made up of. To understand the church, God's household, God's family, we have to start with God. If we go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1, we see that God is creator. And God is creator, he creates man and woman. And, and, and how he creates man and woman is to be in relationship with him. He creates them as his kids. God's their father, they're his people, they're his kids. They're created in relationship with him, to love him, to know him, to steward the creation that he's given them. Man rebels against God. The first parents, are our first parents, the first man and woman rebelled against God and everybody since then, ever living on earth, has also rebelled against God. Okay, that's what Paul says, that's what he means when he says, you who were once far off. That's where we start. We start far off from God. Parents, one of your primary responsibilities as parents is to evangelize to your kids. One of the primary reasons when we're raising our kids, one of the primary reasons that we have kids is to make Christians. Here's, here's why I'm saying that. Our kids are not born Christians. We're born, all of us, far off from God. We must evangelize to them. We must tell them, Ephesians 2, you need to be brought in to the family of God. Some of you this morning are far off from God. You don't know God. You don't love God. Your life does not reflect anything of 
connection or closeness to God, even if you have some vague attachment to God, there's nothing really to show for it, okay? Maybe that's some of you. That's the state of everybody in the world by nature. But friends, here, here's the good news. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The good news, church, is that God did not leave this people to rot or to die or to be destroyed. God sent his son, Jesus, to accomplish everything necessary for salvation. The whole Bible, in one way, you can view it as a story of God pursuing man. You can view it as a story of God's plan to redeem man all the way back from the fall in Genesis 3 to the birth of Christ. Everything is pointing to that event because that man, the perfect man, lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve to die in our place and that is what saves man from death and destruction and sin and hell and from the curse and from the wrath of God. So friends, that, that those people who look to Jesus in faith, who are saved by the grace of God, reconciled to God, made to be friends with God, like we sang, those are the people who are the church. The church is the body of people, the family of God, who now glorify him by serving him. Flip over one or two pages to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verse 10. This is what Paul says. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes I, I fear that when we read the word church in the Bible, it's one of those like, skim terms, you know, we just kind of skim over it. It's like, no big deal, the church, 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 yeah, I get it, church, you know, whatever, no big deal. Think about what he's saying here. Ephesians 3, 10. The church is the means by which God displays his wisdom and glory to the world. To human beings, but even further, to angelic beings, the means of God doing that is through his church. The church is the body of people who have been bought by the blood of Christ, reconciled to God, who exist to display to the world the wisdom and glory of God. That's why we titled this message, The Church, The Gospel Made Visible, because that's exactly what that is. The work and person of Christ is made visible through the church. The wisdom and glory of God is, is put on display. So, friends, as we consider the church, what the church is, as we consider us as a church, that is the people that we've been brought into, and that is the mission that we've been tasked with to display the glory and wisdom of God. <clears throat> In addition, verse 11, Ephesians 3, this was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we need to know that this was God's plan all along. God has always had this plan for the church. 
The church is not an afterthought. The church is not plan B. The church is God's primary means of displaying himself to the world, of making himself known in the world. The church is not a particular building, but a particular people. The church is not an organization, but an organism, living, breathing, active, growing organism. The church is not a consumer market, but the household of God. The church is not an event to attend, but a family to be a part of. Okay, that's what the church is. The next thing we need to ask then, okay, we have this big definition of the church. So what do we do with that? What does the church do? What ought the church do? What should the church look like? Well, that's the next thing we need to ask. What should the church do? And I just want to say this too. There are many different opinions on this. There's a lot of people who who have really good intentions who want the church to do something other than it's intended to do. And I'll also say this too. The church does do a lot of things. There's a lot of ministries of the church, a lot of functions of the church. There's a lot we could say on this. I'm gonna focus in on some really fundamental categories for sake of time. The first thing that the church does is that the church gathers, and I wrote it like this, the church exists as a gathering. (coughs) Church exists as many gatherings. The church exists as a gathering. We have an understanding that the church is all true Christians, Can we get that? All the Christians in the world, all the Christians, in fact, who have ever lived, that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, he's talking to a particular church, but we can fit in there, all Christians. The church is those who have been bought by the blood of Christ and reconciled to God. But the Bible never intends, God never intends, Christians to live lives independently from one another as individuals somewhere out there in the world. Have you ever heard the phrase, you don't have to go to church to be part of the church? The Bible has absolutely no concept of that. That is completely foreign to Scripture. Sometimes we treat church like it's its own thing. It's, it's this thing that Christians can do, and it's great if you want to, but you, know, you really don't have to. That's not even a category for biblical Christianity. There is no church apart from the gathering of the church. The church gathers. The church is all Christians, but the church always gathers at the local level. The church is made up at the local level of particular people. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of verses here for you. Matthew 18, 20. Jesus says this to his disciples. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. The church is small at that time. They're anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus had promised them. And they're gathered together worshiping. Acts 2.46, the Holy Spirit comes. The church blows up. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They get together in the temple, all together, big gathering, and then they scatter in each other's homes. Okay, that's what we do. That's what the church has always done. Um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, all of those books are written to churches. Sometimes we read the Bible as, an indi- as individuals, because we are individuals, but sometimes we interpret it through a lens 
of individualism. We read, oh, you know, Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians, and this applies to me as an individual. And that's true, but look, friends, those are all written to churches. This is a meta-theme of the New Testament. Paul says to the Corinthians, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. This is a particular body that also identifies with all other Christians, but it's a particular church, particular gathering. Galatians 1, to the churches of Galatia. Ephesians 1, the saints who are in Ephesus. Philippians 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. That's a particular church. Colossians 1, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. 1 Thessalonians, to the church of the Thessalonians. Okay, the church, friends, gathers. The church has always gathered, and it has always gathered at the local level with a particular group of people. Maybe the most well-known Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. The author of Hebrews exhorts these Christians in this way. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, the church gathers, and in fact, we're exhorted to not neglect that gathering When he says, as some have done, what he means is this. There are some Christians who you know, that he's saying to the Hebrews, that that you know, who don't really care that much about gathering together. Maybe they do it when it's convenient, but they don't do it very regularly. They've basically neglected it. And the author of Hebrews says, friends, do not be that. Do not neglect to gather together. But in fact, as you gather together, what will inevitably happen is that you will be encouraged by one another. If you don't gather together, friends, encouragement from the body of Christ is going to be hard to find. The church gathers. Number two, the church exalts God. I'm going to give us three categories here. The church and its ministry to God its ministry to believers, and its ministry to the world. The first part of that is a ministry to God. The church is God's, and the church exists. We exist for God. The first thing the church does, particularly as it's gathered, is that the church exalts God. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. He predestined us, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now look, here's what, that's, here's what all, the purpose of all of that is for. To the praise of his glorious grace. We are a people who has been chosen, loved, saved, reconciled by God that, that we might exist as a people for God's Glorious exaltation and praise. We, the church, are to be a people consumed with the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God. 
The church ought to be a people consumed, friends, with God's glory. Look, as we gather, we're not, we, don't, we don't gather in order to be man-centered or to do man-centered things. We gather to do God-centered things. We don't gather around a regular human. We gather around the God-man, Jesus. We don't gather to talk about how great we are. We gather to talk about how great God is. We don't gather to entertain each other, but we gather to exalt God. A couple of ways we do this. The church does this. Psalm 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We first exalt God through song. We sing songs every time we're in church. You can read psalm after psalm after psalm that exhorts God's people to worship him through song. And I want you to notice next time you hear our worship teams leading us in song, notice the type of songs they are. They're not man-centered songs. They're not songs that are intended to just stir our emotions. Those singing is also very emotional and that can be a very good thing. But they're not just sensational songs. They're God-centered songs, friends. The ministry of singing in the church is to exalt God. So the songs that we sing, the way that we sing them, all is with content and posture toward God and for God. That we, as the church, might be led in worshiping God through song. That's the first way the church we exalt God, particularly as we gather is through song. Number two, we, we exalt God through the preaching of God's word. We talked about this last week. We preach the Bible. We talk about God. We talk about the gospel. And friends, we always will because scripture is God's means for us to know him, to love him, obey him, and to exalt him. It's always curious to me when folks try to exalt God apart from Scripture. The way that God wants to be exalted is revealed in Scripture. We can't say, well, I don't care how God wants to be exalted and worshipped. I want to worship God in a way that makes me feel connected. (laughs) Well, that's not how God wants to be worshipped. So there's something really messed up about that. It'd be like saying talking to your spouse and them saying, you know, here's how I really feel loved. And you say, well, that's cool. I feel like I love you when I go bowling. So I'm going to go bowling. And that's my way of loving you because I just feel really connected to you when I go bowling or when I go fishing or when I go bike riding or when I go surfing. I just want to do what I want to do basically and I'm just going to fit in there. Like you like this and I love you when I'm doing this, even if it has nothing to do with you. It's kind of like that when we try to worship God our own way. God's like, I don't, none of that is acceptable worship. So we worship God by preaching God's word. That's how we know how to exalt God is through his word. We don't preach vague moralism and put a Christian name on it. We don't try to burden you with two new things to do every single week so by the end of the year you have 104 new things to do and 
you have hardly done any of them and then you can feel really guilty and go back to church and you just keep adding things on your plate just to do. Now what we do, church, is we preach from scripture about Jesus and the gospel, about what he's done, not what we need to do, but what he's done. And then in light of the gospel, how we ought to respond to God and his grace and his calling on our life as people who have been brought into God's family. That is what we preach. Number three, prayer. Prayer. The church exalts God through prayer. We have a particular time, we have prayer throughout our services. We have a particular time of prayer right in the middle. It's usually lengthier. We want to lift our requests to God. We exalt God through prayer. We pray about God and about God's glory. We, we repent of sin. We pray for our city. We pray for each other after service. We pray for needs. We pray during the week for each other. The church is a, is, is a body that prays, friends, that prays. And we exalt God in our praying. That's our ministry to God. What does the church do? It gathers. It exalts God. Number two, the church edifies believers. The church has a ministry to believers, to each other. We are edified by song, for sure. We are edified by preaching, for sure. But we also have, you and I, friends, we also have a ministry to each other. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. Here's the key though, without grumbling. Don't call it entertaining. Call it hospitality. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Friends, it's all over the New Testament. Instead of just listing off to you <coughs> 50 different verses, I'm going to just read for you a list of one another's. All of these have a, have a direct verse in the New Testament. We are exhorted, our ministry to each other as the church is to love one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, sing praises with one another, speak truth to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, encourage one another, seek good for one another, stir one another up to love and good works, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Be humble toward one another. Friends, that is the ministry that we are responsible to do for each other. Let me just say this. You can't do that when you're surfing. You can't do that in the water. You can't do that when you're hiking. You can't do that by listening to a podcast. You can't. A lot of people have been taught really poorly about the church. And too many people think, I can worship God however I want. I can go surfing and that's, I'm really connected with God here. 
I go out into the mountains and it's just like fresh air and sunshine and I, you know, this is like my church. I get together with some friends at a bar and we talk about God, is that church? Feels like church to me. You know, I hang out with Christians all the time, that's good enough, that's church. I listen to Christian sermons and Christian content, so I'm getting what I need to get. None of those things is church. You can't do any of those things, any of those things, any of that lengthy list of one another's apart from living in a community of a local church. And notice, too, there's not just one or two one another's, there's dozens. There's dozens. You can only realistically, in any way, live in any of those things, friends, by being part of the same body of people. You can't jump around from church to church all your life and say, well, I'm exhorting one another, I'm being exhorted, I'm exhorting, I'm loving, I'm being hospitable. It doesn't work that way. No, we're intended to be with real, live, flesh and blood people, slugging out life together, caring for each other, bearing each other's burdens, guarding one another, doing all of those New Testament one another's. That can only take place in the context of a church. Some people think that the church is, I don't know, too beneath them. The church is full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? The church is just full of bad people. You know, I've been really harmed. It's full of hypocrites. You know, there's always room for one more. That's why we're here, because we are sinners. Sometimes we sin by being two-faced and hypocritical. Sometimes we sin by being angry. Sometimes we sin by being lackadaisical about God. We just don't care about God that much. We don't care about our church that much. We, we've, we've sinned in that way. Sometimes we, we, we sin. I mean, I could list off whatever your sin is, but we're all here, friends, because we are all sinners. We're sinners seeking to know and love a Savior better. We're sinners seeking to hear the gospel week after week that we might be refreshed in the truths that we're forgiven, that we're reconciled, that we're loved, that we're cherished, that we're God's people now, that we're forgiven, that we don't have to do a bunch of weird things to make God happy, but he loves us because we're in Christ Friends, if I just want to encourage you, gently exhort you in this way, don't think to yourself, it's no big deal. You know, it's no big deal if I don't go to church. It's no big deal if I'm not part of the gathering. It's no big deal if I miss church three out of four weeks. It's no big deal. You know, I have other stuff to do. I have priorities that are more important, you know, I know the second I say that, some of you will get, you know, your lawyer will, will materialize on your shoulder. Well, here's why I am justified. Look, I don't want to argue. I just want to say this. You, it is a big deal. And it is important. And don't think I'm not really needed because it's not true. You are. You are needed. The whole body is needed to encourage one another. That's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, don't don't forsake 
to gather together, but instead gather and encourage one another. That's what we do as we gather. That's what happens as we gather. Some, if not most, people who grow up in the West, which is all of us, we understand oftentimes ourselves as individual Christians, but it a lot of times also doesn't go much further than that. Faith, our faith, our Christianity is personal. You can talk about your personal relationship with God and that's all good and it's true, but it doesn't end there. Our faith is personal, but friends, it's never private. It's never private. Our faith is personal, but never private. Church is not an event to attend, but a family to be part of. The church gathers, the church exists as a gathering, the church exalts God, the church edifies believers. Lastly, the church evangelizes the world. We have a ministry to God, a ministry to each other, and a ministry to the world. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then, Paul says this to a church, again, to the church that is in Rome. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus gives his people <coughs> their marching orders. And he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. That means this, friends, that evangelism isn't just calling for some decision. You know, just make a decision now for Christ. See you later. I'm glad you made that decision. No, it's making disciples. It's making disciples. It means run it for the long haul. But here are the marching orders of the church. Go and do that. Go and make disciples not just of your best friends, but of all nations, of the people who need to hear the gospel. Go and make disciples. As Jesus is ascending to heaven, he says this, these last words to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The church has been doing that ever since, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, having the work of Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit. We're Christ's witnesses in the world. That's what we, that's who we are, and that's what we do. We're, we're witnesses in the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, friends, a city on a hill can't be hidden. And if you have a light, you don't shove it under a basket. It doesn't make any sense. You put it in a dark room and it lights up the whole room. And that's what we are. Armed with the gospel, that's exactly what we are. When you hear us use the word mission, that's what we're talking about. Jesus himself came into the world on mission to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom, to bring those who are far off into the family of God, and we are just following in his footsteps. We're going to work with him. We, friends, as the church, are called to care, pursue, and evangelize lost people. Okay? This is an indispensable part of the Christian life. It's an indispensable part of the church. 
And friends, this is not one person's job. This is not just the job of pastors or elders. This is the responsibility of, of all Christians. Um, at our parked ministry, we're seeing, we've seen this happen a good amount. We're seeing it happen again. Um, we're, we're, we, we're, we're considering, um, well, let me just say it this way. One of the gals at Park, Jocelyn, she's parked is growing and getting maxed out and really full to capacity. And so Jocelyn's like, hey, like, there's a lot of non-Christians on base. And I think it'd be, a, like thinking about this on our own, I think it'd be a really good idea for us to do another parked on base that would alleviate some of the space issues, but also be a really good outreach for the gals that are on base. And I know a bunch of gals that I've started to have over in my home, and I think they'd love a park to get trained at and loved and, 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 and that sort of thing. Hey friends, that's exactly what we're talking about. That's the sort of way that Christians think. How can I be a light where I'm at? How can I promulgate the gospel where I'm at? How can I bring people in where I'm at? And it's like, man, I don't, a lot of times I feel insecure, I feel unequipped, I don't know how, but let's work on this together and let's bring people in on this together and let's do this as the church together. That's what the church does. Many of you members, you use your homes for hospitality faithfully, week in and week out. You host events, you host all kinds of things and you just have people over to spend time with. You are great models of Evangelism, hospitality, having an outward face as we call it. Well, that's part of the function of the church. We have a ministry to the world. Lastly, friends, I just want to ask, what does this mean for you? Maybe that's self-evident, but I want to ask it anyways. What does this mean for you? If you're not a Christian here, if you are still the the first part of Ephesians 2, far off, you weren't once far off. If you still are far off, you are not a part of God's family, but you need to hear this, friend, that Jesus came that you might be brought in. Jesus came that you might be brought into this people, to this family, to this group. But you need to know, too, to be brought into this group, to become part of this people, you don't have to work a bunch. You don't have to do a lot of weird things. You don't have to make a sojourn to a different country. You don't have to learn a new language. You don't have to pay a fee. You don't even have to be qualified. All you must do is repent of your sin and look to Jesus Christ in faith. That is how we enter into this people. We're saved by grace. Jesus came to forgive our sins, to remove our sins, We say, God, I acknowledge I've sinned. I don't match up. I have fallen short of your glory. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I'm messed up, and I need help. And Jesus, you are the one who forgives. You are the one who saves. You are the one who rescues. You are the one whom through I get access to God, and I believe you and trust you, and I want to know you. That is the door to this people. So if you are not a Christian, that's how you enter, friend. If you are a Christian, you must know that the church is Jesus' prized possession. Christian, the church is Jesus' bride. The church is Jesus' 
family. The church is Jesus' body. Yes, it has wrinkles, it has warts, it has a lot of ugliness, but the church is Jesus's. And friends, he is constantly sanctifying her, building her, and making her more beautiful. That is what Jesus is doing in his church every day, every week, every year, every time we gather, every time a faithful church seeks to look like Jesus, to love Jesus, to train their people in Scripture, to obey Jesus, every time that happens, as that is happening in every faithful church, Jesus is building his church. He is building and sanctifying and polishing and making his wife more beautiful. And friend, he has tasked you and I to do that with him. He has tasked you and I to do that with him. Maybe you haven't really valued the church much and you've put other priorities way above the church for far too long. Now's your chance to start over. Now's your chance. Jesus has tasked us to make his bride beautiful. Jesus has brought us into his family to build her and care for her. Church is not an event, friends, to attend but a family to be a part of, a family to care for and to love. I want to end with a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says this about the church, nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Therefore, being his, let us also belong to it, that by our prayers, our gifts, and our labors, we may support and strengthen it. Friends, that's, that's our goal as God's people, to love, give, build, support, strengthen Jesus' church because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. And we're trying to look like him, be like him, and be at work with him, and that's how we do it, friends. That's how we do it. And for the course of these next five weeks, I, I hope and pray that we grow in our understanding of this and we think carefully through this together, and I trust that God will use this for great dividends as we continue on obeying God and being faithful to his word. Amen. Father God, um, we thank you for setting apart a people for yourself. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to purchase that people and reconcile them, us, back to you. We thank you, God, that your church is your treasured possession. She's your bride that she's the body of people that you love, that she's the body of people that you are building, that you are growing, through whom you are made known to the world. And Jesus, we thank you that we get to be part of that people. And I pray, God, as we, 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 we think about your church over the coming weeks, that we'd grow in love for your church and care for your church and desire to see her made more beautiful. Work that into our hearts deeply. In your good name, amen. Amen.